Can you tell the difference between blind faith and trusting that all will be well, even if there's no evidence to back it up? Hey folks, it's Karen G. from the Tower Hill Communications team. Welcome to our weekly podcast, where we hope today's message inspires you on your continuing faith journey. This week, we're in part two of our sermon series called, I'll See It When I Believe It, a little play on words. So let's kick it off to Pastor Jason Tucker right now. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to worship here at Tower Hill Church. I'm Pastor Jason. What a blessing to get to worship God together today. I hope that you feel as welcome as you are, however you're watching, wherever you're watching with us. We hope that you'll feel like you've worshiped God together, not just watched an online service, but felt like you participated in one. So please, I encourage you to check out all the things going on in the life of the church. There's always a whole bunch happening, yes, even now in this season. So we hope you'll join us, and we hope you'll join us when you're in town, in person, as you feel comfortable. Well, we are in the middle of this sermon series. It's a short one, three weeks, as we're talking a bit about what happened after the resurrection. And this series is called, I'll See It When I Believe It. It's the idea that faith and what God calls us to do is different than what we are used to, even what we are wired for. We are so engaged in show me the proof, show me the thing that I can measure, and faith just doesn't work that way, at least maybe not at first glance. But the important thing is that what happens in the lesson that Jesus teaches after the resurrection is critically important for us understanding how to see through belief how faith opens our eyes and awakens us to the world that we didn't even realize was there. More on that in a minute. We recognize that this is the season of Easter because Jesus appeared to his disciples for 40 days before he finally ascended into heaven. And I think we forget that. He hung around a while. And the question that we should be asking is, well, what was Jesus waiting for? Why did he do that? Well, it's clear that he wasn't done teaching. He felt like he needed to continue to work with his disciples to prepare them for what was next. And as you know, what happens next is they completely saturate the ancient Middle East, the ancient Near Eastern world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And eventually the whole world, eventually the Roman Empire itself, eventually the whole globe. And it's all because of the mission that these disciples were on. And so Jesus wanted to make sure that they were ready. What was he waiting for? For his disciples to believe so they could see. I know that for a skeptic, that sounds really convenient, (laughs) right? You won't get it until you get it. You won't see it until you believe it. You have to go all in first and then it will be revealed to you. It sounds a little bit cultish and it sounds a little bit manipulative Or it sounds like an insincere answer. But the thing that really a lot of skeptics or people who haven't put their faith in Jesus don't understand is it really doesn't make sense until you take that step of faith. We talked about Indiana Jones last week, right? Taking that step of faith and landing on a bridge that you never even knew was there. And when that happens, something is awakened in you. 
But I think it's important to mention that also it's not blind faith, right? I talked about a drum last week. It's not blind faith. It's not that I just chose to believe in Jesus out of the blue with absolutely no prior information or knowledge. We talked about the drum analogy that, that faith is sort of like I have a blindfold on and I'm playing a drum. And, and I could do that if, if I trust that the person who's placing the drum in front of me is trustworthy. If so, I know the drum's going to be there. I'm going to be able to play it. But that is always based on previous relationship, right? That's based, so if I had somebody who was close to me put the drum there, I'm not trusting blindly. I'm trusting because we have a relationship of trust. This is the same with God. I've seen God's previous acts in my life. I've seen God's previous acts in human history. And so I trust, if anyone's going to make sure that drum is there, it's going to be God. So it's not blind faith. It's like if my wife came and put the drum in front of me and and I trusted it was there, that wouldn't be blind faith. It's faith based on a relationship. It's based on evidence. And that's just it, right? It's faith based on all sorts of things that you can see. The evidence of the works of God in my life. I wouldn't say it's a blind faith. I'd say the Christian faith is an informed faith. Is it faith still? Of course it is. But it's not blind faith. Today, I wanted to talk a little bit about this idea of faith and seeing it when you believe it. But first, I I was thinking about a couple years ago when I first started back into my doctoral program uh, and I had the chance, my doctoral program was at Fuller Seminary in Pasadena, California, and I grew up in a neighboring town of Glendale, California, and so it was a great opportunity to go back and to just reminisce. I really hadn't been back to my hometown in many, many years, and I remember on one of my first visits, I made a pit stop right in front of my old middle school, Woodrow Wilson Middle School. Now, at the time, it was Uh, 7th, 8th, and ninth grade, even though technically you were a freshman and part of Glendale High School, you were still in the middle school. And that was the last school I attended before we moved across the country. And what was wild about that visit is I'm sitting there looking at the school, and it is exactly the same. So many things in life, you go back and it's not the same. (laughs) I swear, even the paint Everything, it was exactly the same. I don't know if it was the California weather. If you didn't have to worry about the ice and the snow and the expanding and contracting of a building. I don't know what it was, but it looked exactly the same. And it triggered this flood of emotions and memories and thinking about what it was like at that time as a ninth grader getting ready to move across the country to a whole new community, a whole new school and group of friends that I didn't yet know. And, and then just sort of naturally thinking, that was a real turning point in my life. Everything that happened after has really made me who I am. Going to school, getting a chance to play football in high school, and uh, getting to become a Christian at camp and meeting my wife. And I started thinking, what would my life have been had we not moved? You ever have that thing where you, you reminisce and you think about different pivot points in your life and you think, what, what would my life have been like? Would I have met the people that I now love? Would I have come to faith? Would I be a pastor? You start just kind of thinking, wow, things really could have been different. And at some point, you start thinking about all the regrets and all the mistakes that you made, and a question starts to wash over you. And that question washed over me. It's this, 
Would I do it all again? Would I do it all again? If I had a choice to go back and to take the same path, would I do it again? I think it's a great question. It's a question that kind of reveals where we are in our lives. It reveals how satisfied or dissatisfied we are, how loved or feeling unloved we are. But I think it's a question we all ask from time, would I do it all again? I think this is a question that the disciples are faced with in our scripture that we're going to talk about today. Again, we're continuing in the Gospel of John. This is chapter 21. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. Remember, he keeps appearing to them, and he's teaching them how to live by faith and not by sight. By the Sea of Galilee, it happened in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Demetrius, who's that? Doubting Thomas, yep, another story with him, he's in this too. Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Now, we're led to believe that there's some time that's passed from the last time that they spoke with Jesus because they're kind of back in their ordinary lives. I mean, this was where Jesus called them. They were back fishing. They were back spending the night with the nets in the water and not catching anything, unfortunately. But I wonder if as they're reminiscing, they're thinking, you know, I'm kind of back where I started. I wonder if they were reminiscing on that day that Jesus called them and said, come and I will make you fishers of men. I wonder if they thought about regrets that they had. I'm sure Peter did. Remember, the last, the last act of ministry Peter did was denying Jesus. I had to think that probably weighed heavily on him in this moment as he's thinking about what those three years of ministry with Jesus were like. I wonder if they were asking that question to themselves, right? Would I do it all over again? As they go back to what they know, as they go back to their lives and thinking, wow, that was an, I don't even know what just happened. What does that mean for us now? Jesus appeared to us. He said, I'm going to send you on a mission. And, and here we are. We still don't really know where we're being sent or what we're doing. And so here we're back fishing. And wow, knowing what I know now, would I do it all over again? Well, Jesus is about to crash their fishing trip here. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. Here we go again, right? We've seen this before. Jesus is there, and people don't realize that it's him. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. So we've seen this before. This is exactly what happened when the sons of Zebedee were called, right? This is exactly what happened. When Jesus called the disciples who were fishermen, they, he calls out to them about fishing on the other side, and, and they do, and they, same thing, like the nets are so full that they could barely drag all the fish into the boat. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Hey, we've seen this before. I know exactly, it is the Lord, I'm telling you. 
As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. So yes, you're reading that correctly. He had taken off his outer garment, so he's basically kind of in his underwear out fishing. I, he's so excited, he actually gets more dressed and jumps in the water. He's not exactly thinking clearly in this moment. He is so excited to go to Jesus. You know what I think of when I think of this? Again, this is just how my mind is tainted by being raised on movies. I think of Forrest Gump. You remember that time in Forrest Gump when he sees Lieutenant Dan on the shore and he's got his shrimp and, his shrimp and boat? And he sees him and he, he jumps right off and swims to the dock where he sees Lieutenant Dan. You remember that scene? It's classic, right? But it's, it's that kind of raw excitement where he's just not even thinking, he's just reacting. And what's he reacting to? He's saying, I've seen this before, it's Jesus. Do you see what's happening? They're starting to recognize Jesus even when they don't know it's him. And something will happen and it will exercise that faith muscle. It will trigger something for them. And then all of a sudden, oh yeah, there he is. Let's go that way. More on that in a minute. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. It's very specific, right? 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And that's really important too, right? Again, this isn't a ghost or an apparition. It's somebody who's eating and drinking with them. Uh, someone in the flesh, a resurrected body, yes. A different body, yes, but still a body. And this is important, right? So you can't just say, well, you just, you're seeing things. You're seeing apparitions. No, he actually ate. He had a meal with us. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. That's interesting. So still, he didn't exactly look like the Jesus they remember, but they knew that it was him. Do you notice what's happening already? Their faith is getting stronger. Their ability to see when they believe is getting stronger. Faith is like a muscle, and the more you use it, the better you get at it. Jesus gives a sign, and they're able to focus and follow. And this is how they're going to follow Jesus going forward. They're going to get really good at knowing where Jesus is leading them so that they can act accordingly. And this is the story of our faith as well. For so many of us, we feel like, oh, I can't do that. It's because the, our muscle is weak. Listen, you don't start off trying to bench press 300 pounds. That's not, it's not where you start. Someday you might be able to. Who knows? But you basically you probably should just start with the bar right? <laughs> without adding any weight. You have to work your way up to that. Faith is the same thing. Sometimes we look at the faith stories of people and we say, oh, my gosh, I could never do that. Well, that's because you're looking at, at them far down the road of their development. Faith is a muscle that takes some training. And you see right here in these stories that we looked at the last couple of weeks, 
is you see them getting stronger. Their faith is getting stronger. Their ability to believe is helping them to see. And this is what Jesus, exactly what Jesus is training them to do. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Jesus feeds them. And he's about to use this as an incredible object lesson. Again, he's not a ghost. He's with them. They see through the eyes of faith that this is Jesus. Even though he must not have looked like Jesus. They get it. They're getting it. But if the story ended there, that would be fine. I think it would feel like it's enough. But Jesus is about to use this idea of feeding. So he just feeds them the breakfast that he had had cooked. And then the ultimate object lesson. Because you know... You know Peter's been thinking about how he denied Jesus. You know that has been something that has been on his mind. How could it not? That he let him down, that he blew it. Remember, he was the one that said, I will never, even if I have to die, I'll never deny you. And this is such an amazing moment here with Jesus. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all these things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep course we all know we see it a mile away three times three affirmations for the three times that Peter denied and I think we see the heart of God in this the heart of God is not to hold over us our mistakes but to help our mistakes our sins our denials become a teaching moment an object lesson an an opportunity to move forward and to restore and to reconcile to get stronger to do better to live with more joy and less regret, more faith and less fear. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. That's a really fascinating moment. So, of course, we know that Peter dies. Uh, In fact, almost all the records that we have of the early disciples is that they were martyred for the sake of Jesus. And yet, Peter, even knowing, even knowing that he was going to die for the sake of Jesus' mission, when Jesus says, follow me, you get the sense that he's saying, Not only would I do this all again, but I'm going to say yes again right here and now. Think about my middle school story. You know, I think about my life. I'm like, would would I do it all over again? Absolutely every time because this path has led me to Jesus. It's led me to some of the biggest blessings in my life. And whatever regrets I have, I don't regret following him. It's all exactly as it was supposed to be. 
Not only will I do it all again, but I'll double down and say, Lord, I'm gonna continue to follow you. And I'm gonna trust that anything from here, I'm not gonna have the kind of regrets that regret not following you. I could live with a lot of regrets. I mean, can't you? You could live with a lot of regrets in your life. Call it the rocking chair test. When we all can't get out anymore and we're sitting on the rocking chair, what kind of regrets are we gonna have? Again, I could live with a lot, but I can't live with the regret of, did I ever try and follow God and what he wanted for my life? Did I ever actually try to follow Jesus when he said, follow me? I couldn't live with that kind of regret. So, would I do it all again? They did say yes all over again. They start a movement that changes history. Peter does it even knowing how he's going to die. And here's the thing about what we've seen in the resurrection, right? Something changed in them after the resurrection. This scared, fearful for the Jewish leaders, remember that? And they were gathered together. They become bold. They become powerful. They go out and change the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, even willing to die for it. What happened? They were transformed by the resurrected Jesus. You know, if Jesus wasn't risen from the dead, maybe you could learn from his teachings as sort of a philosophy or a way of life but you wouldn't be willing to follow him anywhere that he says. You wouldn't be willing to follow him into those difficult places. You wouldn't be willing to follow him when it matters the most. Because if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, he has no power. And if he has no power, then what are we all doing? But I believe that he has. And that changes everything. It changes how we live our lives. It changes our passions reveals our purpose. And if we just believe, we're going to see it. We're going to see it in front of us. We're going to be able to, like those disciples, we're going to be able to see where Jesus is at work in our lives and say, that's the Lord. I recognize his work anywhere. I've seen that before. That looks like Jesus to me. That's Jesus in that conversation that, that I had with that person. That's Jesus in that situation at work. That's Jesus in that moment I had with my kids. That's Jesus in that circumstance that fell through or came together. That's Jesus. I recognize it anywhere. And when you can see, you can follow. Jesus is calling to you now. Follow me. Follow me. What will you say? I pray that you believe it so you can see it. Amen.